everybody. This is Gene the Werewolf, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. This is John Wetton from Asia. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is George Lynch from Dokken and Lynch Mob, Shadow Train, Tooth and Nail. And you're listening to Iron City Rocks. <laughs> Welcome to episode 176 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John. Episode 176 coming to you live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Bringing you the best hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the internet. We've got for you in episode 176 a guest who wasn't on the show all that long ago, quite honestly. I believe it was episode 168. We were joined by George Lynch at the time talking about the latest Lynch Mob EP. Well, he's back. This time, Sean caught up to him, and he talked about the new TNN record. For those not familiar with what TNN is, uh, Dokken were obviously a, a pretty major player in the melodic hard rock era of the 1980s and early 1990s with such albums as Under Lock and Key, Back for the Attack, uh, Breaking the Chains, and a uh, great live album. If you don't have Beast from the East, get Beast from the East. Uh, George Lynch... Jeff Pilson, Wild McBrown, and Don Dawkin, who just joined us recently on the show as well, uh, made up Dawkin in that era. Well, if you follow the soap opera that has been Dawkin over the last two decades, um, there's been a lot of fighting. George was supposed to be back in the band. He was in the band in the 90s for a period of time. He left the band. Um, but there's always been uh, some commonality. Wild McBrown has played with both Lynch Mob and with Dawkin. Uh, continues to play with Dokken. Uh So what happened uh, a couple years ago, um, they went on that metal show and talked about a reunion of the original members, which didn't come to fruition. But what did come to fruition was a three-quarter reunion between Jeff Pilson, Wild McBrown, and George Lynch. Uh, they were going to go under the moniker of Tooth and Nail. Uh, there is a record label out there called Tooth and Nail, which also is home to the Letter Black uh, local artist. Um, so they had to change the name for copyright reasons, so the project is actually called T ampersand N. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk to George about that. Sean, as I mentioned, caught up to him. We're going to play the first uh, track, or one of the first tracks off the album I had a chance to listen to. This is uh, the title track of the Tooth and Nail album from Dokken, but this is redone with uh, the TNN band and also the singer of King's X. So it's a really a different flavor, so... Um, that album, uh, Slave to the Empire, which is out now, features several guest vocalists, Tim Ripper Owens, uh, and some other notables. Also has Jeff Pilson on vocal. So this one features, uh, uh, I believe his first name is Ty uh, of King's X uh, on vocals uh, doing Tooth and Nail. So we're going to listen to that. We're going to go into the interview with George.
How you doing, George? Hi, I'm doing good, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on. Um, you've had quite a busy year this year. You released the uh, the Legacy EP back in uh, what was that March, March or yep. May, and then uh, the Lynch Mob had the Sound Mountain sessions uh, in August, and now coming up you have uh, TNN, which I believe the album comes out uh, October 31st. Um, can you talk a little bit how about the TNN project came to be? Because I know it reunites you with uh, Jeff Pilson and uh, Nick Brown. Right. Well, uh, uh, originally, uh, Jeff and I were planning on writing for Lynch Mob. Okay. Uh, uh, just to sort of develop ideas as a bed for the new Lynch Mob record. Um, but it didn't really end up being material that was suited to Lynch Mob, so we put it on the back burner. And uh, then Brian Titchy, uh, who was playing in Lynch Mob at the time, and also was playing with Foreigner off and on, um, suggested that uh, Jeff, Nick, and I put together this TNN project, which was called Tooth and Nail, but we had to change it to TNN because right. of legal issues. Um, so um, that was a great idea. And, you know, it was, it was his idea to, to, you know, create a mix of, you know, Doc and re-record in original music, and uh, you know, kind of the light went on, and we went, wow, you know what? We had the most fun. We were back in the day when it was just the three of us jamming and, mm-hmm. and writing songs, and we always dreamed about doing that someday. So, you know, a little late, but you know, thirty <laughs> years later, why not? <laughs> was it uh, was it easy getting the chemistry back together? Was there a little bit of like uh, you know, re getting to know one another? Easy, squeezy. It was like. We'd never left the room right. three years ago. So awesome. <laughs> we're just joking around and having fun and just coming up with the and getting excited. Like, we're supposed to, you know. It's just wonderful. Cool, cool, cool. Um, the album's uh, the album's called Slaves, Slaves of the Empire. And uh, the first track, I heard the first track uh, yesterday called Slaves of the Empire, which is a great track. Um does kind of have, like, you know, remind me a little bit of the old, you know, back for the attack type days and, and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a lot more modern or whatnot. What was the writing process like? Did you guys just get in the room and just start jamming, or? Uh, well, everything was written with Jeff and I. It was, okay. didn't have drummers in the room. Uh, Jeff has a studio very close to me. We live close to each other. And he's a phenomenal engineer and uh, has a great studio. And, you know, because we've played together off and on for so many years, we we sort of read each other's minds, you know, words don't have to be spoken a lot of times. Right. So, um, you know, we all, we both understand what we're going for, you know, in a groove, in a, in a riff, 
I'm doing my solos. He knows the sound I want to get, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we share all these commonalities. And so um, we just sit down, you know. We, we just say, okay, where do we want to start? Uh, how about a riff like this? How about, how about a beat? You know, it's always a beat and a riff. It's always the start, you know. Whether whether we're in a room together with any of the bands I'm in, um, or in a studio, when you're programming drums, or you got a drummer in the studio, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. It's just, hey, I got a riff idea. I sit down, I plug in, I go, oh, here's a cool riff. <laughs> yeah, right. And we go, you know, we're off to the races, and then, you know, you just you just start thinking in terms of parts, you know, um, parts is parts. So uh, what follows that logically? Something comes to mind, and you go, oh, mm, that's nice. And, uh, okay, now you got a, a verse and a chorus. And, uh, and the way we traditionally write songs, because, you know, we're not Mastodon or Ocuff, you know, we sort of piece things together in the old school formula, like just right. like we did in Doc, which is... A, B, A, B, and then a C section in the middle, and then uh, another A, B out, and end the song, you know, with a solo in the middle of the song. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool, and sometimes the easiest way is sometimes the best. Um, now, Jeff does all the singing on the uh, the original tracks, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, did he do all the, write all the lyrics and stuff, too, or was that more a collaborative effort also? Um, somewhat collaborative, but he did the lion's share of the, of the lyrical writing, yeah. But the message uh, that we're conveying on the record is um, mutual. Right. And, uh, you know, um, we're, we're going to work together more closely on on uh, lyrics and melodies on the next record. But, you know, to a large extent, you know, you know, him having the studio at his home and him having his free time when he has it and him being the singer, you know, I don't like to step on people's toes. If somebody is, has their strength and that's what they do, right? you know, then leave them alone, you know, unless there's a problem. I mean, don't fix it. And, uh, you know, I, same way with my guitar playing or his bass playing or Kitchy's drumming. I mean, I would ever, never presume to tell Kitchy how to play drums or Jeff mm-hmm. how to play bass unless there was a part that they were questioning or we felt that it needed to be addressed and we would just maybe, uh, you know. Kind of like brainstorm things. ideas and... Yeah, yeah, we all get together and just little things here and there. But that's what's great about bands is that you know, unless you're Jimi Hendrix or Paul McCartney or, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach, you know, <laughs> none of us are islands, and, and we always have a better product when, when we work together collectively and we're working for the right reasons, you know, to make the song better, not feed our egos or have more writing or writing right. or anything like that, you know. So, um, you know, I have some input on, on lyrics but, uh, or melodies, but... Uh, the line shared, as I said, it's just. And what was, you mentioned, like, you know, the message was all uh, collaborative. What were you guys trying to say, you know, with this album? Uh, Well, you know, the first thing people do is uh, categorize it as a political statement. I I kind of disagree with that because Mm -hmm. I think you say political, you imply something that's in the political sphere, and political is just really, uh, it's really just, game show hosts on the media, you know, taking corporate money to serve their masters. So I, I don't think it's about that. I think it's essentially about something more basic right. which underlies everything else, including politics, is just human nature. So that that's what it addresses. Um, you know, there are certain subjects that we address, uh, mm-hmm. religion and obviously politics, but um, it's all based on the premise that we're dealing with how people are built and what, how they will hate towards one another. 
Right, right, right. Um, now you guys added some Dawkins songs onto this. Um, did you, how'd you guys yeah, which, choose which? Which, are, which is very funny because when we have this this strong, powerful, heartfelt, passionate political statement <laughs> on our original music, and then we go back to the Dawkins songs and be, you know, just got lucky or something, or it's not love, it's something silly like and superficialist. It's kind of this strange juxtapositioning of messages there. Well, I mean, I guess a death actually had kind of a message back in the day with the whole uh, yeah. the whole age thing and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys just pick some random songs, or were there songs that you wanted to particularly do? Or well, we tried to strike a balance between uh, you know songs that are recognizable and most popular, mm-hmm. and we enjoyed more, which is usually playing more, which is usually the stuff that's a little bit harder or more inventive, um, and that's kind of a tough balance to achieve. Now, we we actually recorded the bulk of two records. Yeah. And we're still working on the second one. So, you know, we picked these docking songs because that's what the singers picked that, that guessed on the record. Okay, and okay. The, uh, the other five are, will be on the next record. Um, so you mentioned different singers. Now, I know, uh, well, Mick played drums on all the docking songs, right? Correct. And then he also sings Into the Fire. Uh, Jeff sings into the fire. Jeff sings into the fire. Okay. And uh, Mick sang uh, when heaven comes down, which isn't going to be released on this record. Uh, it's going to be on the next record. He's a great job. Cool. He sang the original demo. We came up with the lyrics together, him, Jeff, and I, mm-hmm. and the melody. That song back in '84 or '5, whatever it was. And uh, so it was kind of neat, full circle thing to have him come back in there and knock it out of the park because he, he has a great voice. Cool, cool. I can't wait to hear that. Now, you got some guest singers. You got Doug Pennick from King's X and uh, Sebastian Bach and uh, Ripper Owens. Um, how did you guys, how did you Robert, Robert Mason. Robert yeah, Mason yeah, and Robert Mason also. Um, how did you, uh, did you guys approach them and, and specifically or? Uh, well, generally not. I mean, uh, uh, with, you know, maybe in a few instances there was some guidance. Mm-hmm. But we knew what these people could do. Now, um, you know, Doug and uh, Sebastian came to Jeff's studio. We worked together. Um, uh, so there were, was guidance there, obviously. Right. You know, as any, any engineer or producer would guide, you know, uh, performer. But um, in Robert's case and uh, Ripper's case, they did their tracks remotely at their own studios. Mm-hmm. You know, in the parts of where they live, and uh, Robert lives in Arizona, and, and River lives back east somewhere. So um, it was, didn't make sense to have to come out. So um, they just did it on their own, and, and there was some feedback back and forth. Yeah, as there always is. Cool. But, uh, you know, nobody's going to tell Ripper Owens or right. kind of thing. Was there any, when you guys re-recorded it? Was there anything you did differently this time than when you did when you originally recorded it? Because I know, like, there's some bands, you know. Uh, uh, would re-record songs that they did, you know, back in the '80s, and they try to get it exactly the same way as they recorded it back then. Um, and I heard a little bit of "Alone Again," and it sounded like there was, you know, some different parts in there, so a couple of different elements here and there. Um, did you? Uh, I mean, did you guys want to try and change it up a little bit at all, or, or you know? Oh well, if you listen to um, "It's Not Love" mm-hmm. uh, or "Into the Fire," as a um, there's a huge departure in the middle of that song. Okay. That created this whole other kind of piece that um, just kind of popped into our heads and we developed this beautiful piece that kind of is a song within a song. It's wonderful. Cool. Um, 
And uh, there's some things about tooth and nail that we changed up, like after the solo, there's this whole kind of gospel chicken picking breakdown. <laughs> that and that we just came up with that when Doug was in the room, spur of the moment, and it just went, went up going up great. Um, yeah, so there, there are some things, yeah, definitely, and, and the way we play it. I mean, obviously, we don't record the tape anymore. Right, right. But, but um, I think we've gotten better, especially Jeff and I, at, at nailing the sounds and performances that we always wanted to get. You know, I mean, some of those older records, yeah, maybe they stand up, uh, but, you know, I have a hard time listening to them. Right, <laughs> well, right. Oversaturated with uh, effects and uh, maybe the basic sound isn't as great as it should be. So, considering the money and time we spent on those records, it's just pretty unfortunate. So, yeah. Learned it a lot more with a lot less these days. Did you, I mean, is your, has your, like, setup been scaled back at all since back then, or are you still basically playing to the same type of rig? Um, well, <laughs> since, the, since the 80s? Oh, I've <laughs> changed probably a hundred times since then. So, right, right. Uh, I mean, it changes every day, every week, you know. I mean, I'm always adding and crapping elements. Uh, um, and it's kind of funny because I end up, a lot of times, as you said, going back to the same thing. But, you know, I, I use a lot of different things in the studio. My core rig is my random lynch boxes and my ESP guitars. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I add as track elements, as I said, throughout the recording process, whatever works for that particular track in that particular studio for those particular songs. But, you know, it's complicated. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a gear nut. So, yeah, yeah. A lot of things, a lot of things at my disposal. <laughs> That's just the hardest thing is deciding what to try, you know, because it takes a lot of time. You know? Exactly, exactly. Um, you guys have any plans to tour with this project at all, or? Well, we were planning on touring this year, and things fell apart. Uh, you know, political business bullshit. Right. Uh, okay, you know, as it always is a problem. But uh, we were very, very disappointed. We were supposed to be very good going at Loud Park in Japan, which is a huge festival, mm-hmm. uh, creative festival, and then we we're going to go, go to Europe for a couple of weeks and tour the states for a month. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it all fell through. Like I said, we're just devastated by that. But um, we are planning on getting it right next year, and we're going to release the second record. Um, you know, at the end of the summer next year, we're gonna we're gonna hit the road and support both records. Cool, cool, cool. Now, the second album is going to be the same way, like you know, a set of originals and then some of the talking songs again. Same formula. We've already recorded all the talking songs. Okay. Uh, and uh, we've been working on a couple of originals. Um, we're going to continue to do that until the record's finished. And uh, then, you know, find our list of singers again, which I think on the strength of this first record, we will have our pick of uh, who we want to have on this next one. Cool, cool, uh, cool. Other than one, I invite Doug Bennett back. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of want to ask you a couple things about... Uh, you did... Uh, I guess a lot of people may not know this, but you uh, you build guitars. Do you still are you still involved with the Mr. Scary guitars, or? Well, that's I'm the only person involved in Mr. Scary. Right, right, right. Are you still you still doing that, or? Oh yeah, I'm doing it today. I guess I do. How long have you been uh, How long have you been doing that? Uh, I think it's going on a couple of years now. I mean, you know, for most of my life, I've been you know dealing obviously with guitars, and when I was much younger and, and, and giving lessons at Musonia and other places and music stores and private lessons and stuff. That was one thing I did was I, I bolted 
guitars together for my students and sell mm-hmm. them on the slide, you know, three or four hundred bucks, you know, and it was sure whole body and a neck that I got out of the scrap heap and I'd paint it and flare it together and, you know, and they were great instruments and, uh, um, helped supplement my income, you know, when I was a lot younger before docking got off. Right. Took off. So, um, and, you know, kind of putting my own guitars together, but that's really bolting stuff together, you know. Okay. Here. Um, I do not make my own necks even to this day because I don't have the equipment or the room to do that and other people do it much better than I do. So, um, but I do everything else. I wear the pickups. I, you know, I land, uh, land the bodies, I pin route them, I do all the hand routing, uh, you know, dremeling and painting and installing, you know, the bones and setting on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I do branding it, you know, I, I do everything except uh, the necks and, uh, I've been, uh, I've got about six or seven on the bench right now. Right? Oh, wow. My home, backyard. <laughs> so you do them right at your house. That's that's cool. I mean, they're beautiful guitars. Right in my backyard, I built this little, uh, <laughs> called a palata. It's this kind of tropical patio thing that I built, and uh, I just look outside because it's nice, and I put on music, and I just very zen like. I just kind of forget about time and space and, you know, wake up a few hours later and, you know, uh, you know usually have accomplished something. And uh, it's nice to see the guitars evolve, but it's sad to see them go away because there's a lot of work into them. It's a, yeah, right. a lot of detail work and, and a lot of stuff I've just had to learn by the seat of my pants because, as I said, I'm not a luthier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't build an acoustic guitar if you put a gun to my head right. uh, or a neck. But, you know, I'm learning. You know, I have a lot of friends that help me out and give me information and teach me things and give me tips and all that stuff. Cool, cool. It's, a fun, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do, and, and everybody that's gotten them has been completely over the top. Right. Hated, you know, I get it. I mean, they're expensive, but they have to be because they're a lot of work. Oh yeah. And they're yeah. primarily built to sound and play well. I mean, it's you know, despite, despite how they look, you know, people have the assumption that they're a piece of art or wall hangers. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> you should say they play this thing. It's, they just have beautiful, you know, wide flats. You know, boogie bodies, early Chanel type C necks, and fantastic pickups, and you know, tone woods, and, and it's all built to look to rock. It. They're, they're, they're machines, you know. They're not built just look at. So. Cool. Yeah, I mean, they they are beautiful guitars, and uh, you know, but you know, guitar like you said is meant to be played. Um, you know, you may, I guess you know the customer is really involved with, in the in in the process too, or. Oh, of course, uh, and I and I insist on that because. Uh, now, once in a while, I get a customer just, you know, they throw me a, a deposit and they just say, you know, knock yourself out, go, go, what you want, you know. Right. And that's cool. That's cool. Um, and then I get the other end of the spectrum, which is people that are very particular about every single dimension and spec and aspect of the guitar. And, uh, uh I appreciate that too. Um, uh, but at some point, people have to just kind of realize that I, I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Similar, everyone's going to be completely different just because of the nature of the wood. I've, I've got some people, uh, this particular gentleman I'm working with now from Germany, who wants something very, very specific. Uh, you know, and it's, it's sometimes hard because, uh, for instance, uh, the color 
of the guitar. It really depends on that particular stain, right. and a particular grain of the wood, and, and the atmospheric conditions, and then the color of your computer monitor. You know, what mm-hmm. I might be seeing is probably something different than what he's seeing. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky, but uh, I've never had anybody dissatisfied. So cool. I'm usually just blown away and uh, very happy. And, and um, yeah, that's something I could see myself doing. You know, as I ripen into my old age, I'm living in a cave in New Mexico or something. I could just be <laughs> very happy doing that. Yeah. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you about was the uh, Shadow Train project. Um, I, know, I saw you guys release the trailer for it about a, about a month ago. A new trailer. Um, how's that progressing? I'm glad you asked me about it. Um, it's something that uh, we've been working on for about a year and a half, and uh, I'm actually leaving tomorrow mm-hmm. um, for New Mexico for uh, another week trip out there uh, uh, shooting. And uh, it's evolving. It's it's, a, it's an amazing process. It, it's very frustrating because I've never made a movie. Right, yeah, right. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about making a movie, but uh, I have ideas and I have a passion. And uh, but there's, you know, just like any project, I mean, really the greatest challenge is you know financing, mm-hmm. time, uh, logistics. Um, you know, if I could just snap my fingers and say this is what I'm envisioning and this is what I want to see, that would be great. But unfortunately. <laughs> You know, I gotta find the people, the location, get the flights, get the equipment, get the right people to do it. Right. You know, everything has to line up. The weather has to agree with us, and you know, uh, funding has to be in place. And logistically, it's always difficult. So, um, these trips that we take out to uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, uh, past year and a half have been quite adventurous, to say the least. So, you know, we camp out, uh, save money, and because we want to. And, right. Uh, we're in very remote places, parts of the world where, you know. White people are usually not invited to, you know, we see mm-hmm. some pretty amazing stuff and uh, pretty harrowing stuff. So uh, it, a lot of it is actually, uh, for instance, uh, we did a concert. Uh, we opened up, uh, helped, we participated in opening up some music schools on the res out in New Mexico and Arizona mm-hmm. and, uh, called uh, Music and Medicine. And we got a bunch of my endorsers to donate instruments and we, you know, gave group lessons to the kids and started a music school and all this kind of stuff. And we played this concert at this beautiful spot in New Mexico out by El Moro, which is in the middle of nowhere. Okay. We wouldn't even have to find this place. And we're, we're camped out. We played our concert at a big bonfire. A bunch of guys were out on their motorcycles. And it was, it was awesome. This is the Shadow Train Band. And uh, a lot of improvised music and things like that, along with native musicians. And then we're camping out at night. And I we hear this sort of scuffle. And I, I get out of my pop-up trailer, which is where we're camping in, and I walk outside in the middle of the night and there's this Indian dude that we know in I won't say his name, but he's a uh, pretty hardcore Navajo dude and uh, he was he felt slighted for some reason with the way things had gone and was standing over the drummer's sleeping bag who was asleep on the ground with two live rattlesnakes running in each hand. Wow. And he was contemplating whether he was going to stuff these rattlesnakes in this guy's bag and then tie the bag up and get bitten to death. Yeah. Um, wow. Pretty, yeah, yeah, it's pretty heavy, and this guy's no joke. Um, so, um, actually, I'm going to see him tomorrow when we go out there. And uh, he, he drives in this, this old Jeep Cherokee with no doors on it that you have to hotwire to even get it started. <laughs> but we drive around and out there and go deer hunting and, you know, and just, you know, find these out-of-the-way places. But what I'm going to do is, is actually reenact that scene. 
Okay. Except the person in the bag is going to remain sort of faithless and nameless and just kind of represent, you know, mm-hmm. right, right. the white oppressors or whatever. And the, the sleeping bag is going to be have an American flag print on it. Okay, then yeah. When, then when this guy holding the snakes, the native guy, sort of thinks and he's contemplating what he's going to do, and then there's all these archival stills and, 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 and footage of 500 years of oppression. So he sort of, you know, just, just flashes by the screen for a few minutes, a few moments, and then you know, he considers what, what his actions are going to be based on that. Well, that's cool. I mean, that sounds like it's going to be a pretty cool image on the screen. Yeah, yeah, but the, okay, but logistically, where do you get the snakes? <laughs> Right, right. So, these anatomic snakes, you use rubber snakes and pull them out of wood and wriggle them around, you know, wriggle them around with your hands to make them look like they're alive, or you slip them open and put magnets and jumping beams on it. I mean, there's all these things you got to think about, you know. Exactly. Unless you want to go to Hollywood and get snake wranglers, and that'll cost you thousands and thousands of dollars. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um,. Cool. I'm glad uh, that project's still going. Is there an end in sight yet for that, or is that still? Uh, we're hoping for fall of 2013. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and do you have like a Kickstarter page or anything set up for that at all? Uh, well, you know, again, you know, it's just a few of us doing everything, and I completely screwed up the Kickstarter thing. Where <laughs> I had no idea how it worked, and after about a week of trying, I finally got it to work, and I put this giant astronomical number on there, and didn't realize that if you don't get your number, you don't get any of the money. Right. Right. And you can't do it again for a long time. So. <laughs> I'm going to kick, re-kickstart my Kickstarter at some point. <laughs> but, you know, people can go to ShadowTrainMovie.com and, and donate if they like. And, uh, you know, with a $1,000 donation, you get a right. uh, guitar that I do a little bit of stuff to and sign it and a certificate and all this kind of good stuff. And, um, you know, and we make a dollar go a long way, so we really appreciate it. And, uh All right, George, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. Um, you know, I want to wish you good luck with everything and uh, hope to hear from you again soon. Uh, you will. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for the interview. Thank, thank you. Have you ever listened to an album and thought to yourself, man, I could do so much better than that? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RageAndApathy.com and join my madness. They're coming. The dunks. The dribbling. The four-point shot. The world-famous Harlem Globe Charters are coming to Pittsburgh. Playing the Consol Energy Center on Sunday, December 26th at 7 p.m. Give your kids the gift they won't ever forget. Tickets are available at Dick's Sporting Goods box office at Consol Energy Center, Ticketmaster.com, and all Ticketmaster outlets, or charge by phone at 800-745-3000. The Harlem Globe Charters at the Consol Energy Center, Wednesday, December 26th at 7 p.m.
All right, again, a special thank you to Mr. Scare George Lynch and as well, uh, Sean, for taking the time to do the interview. Uh, it was great to get that uh, look into the TNN project available. Now, actually, it's uh, available just a few days prior to the release of this episode. Uh, you can go to Rat Pack Records. Uh, that's Pack P-A-C-K. Uh, you can just Google that. Uh, that would be where I would buy it. I mean, you can get it on Amazon and I, Amazon and iTunes. Amazon. I almost made it into one website. Uh, go to Rat Pack Records. Uh, incredibly cool bundles for people. Uh, I think the you know, a lot of us who are going to be interested in an album like this, at least initially, are going to be hardcore George Lynch, Doc, and Lynch Mob fans. And there are some incredible packages with posters and T-shirts and things like that, uh, you know, for just a little bit more than you'd spend for a digital download anyway. I want to thank you folks for taking the time to listen. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Rocks, twitter.com forward slash Rocks. Also, if you're in the iTunes app store, check us out, uh, I, Iron City Rocks Connect, uh, our online application, and you can go to castironring.com and find all about the Cast Iron Ring network of which we are a part. And again, until next time, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Mm-hmm.